0: So last weekend, uh, my children uh, for Mother's Day decided to take our family to an escape room. I don't know if you've ever done an escape room before, uh, but not everyone. Um, so we did an escape room. It's a really cool thing. We've done a couple of them before uh, at, at different times, um, and there, there are several escape room businesses dotted around Adelaide, mostly around the CBD. Um, uh, but my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter Beck, um, took us to. A new escape room, one that we hadn't been before. One that she found fairly recently. It's a it's a, a much smaller business. It's run by uh, a family, just one family who run it, and it's in a little sort of nameless building in the city. The kind of building that you'd walk past every day and barely notice that's there. It's just a sort of a door in the wall. Um, it's not very well signposted. It'd be really easily missed. Um, but they run fantastic escape rooms in this little building. Uh, I think they have you know, four or five different rooms. We did just one of them. Um, but it was a great time. Our family had it was a lot of laughs and we did escape. Uh, it was a brilliant time. And we're in the car, we're talking on the way home about how much fun it was and how good it was to discover this little escape room. Um, and, and, and one of my daughters said jokingly, uh, jokingly, well, but don't tell other people about this new escape room. Because if we tell other people about it, then everyone will go and it will be harder to book a room to get in. You see, because at the moment, because it's a small family business, it's a bit hidden away, it's much easier to get in and book a room at this little business than it is at any of the other big escape room businesses. And so we're like, well, yeah, okay. So don't tell other people about this business. Let them go to the busy ones. And then anytime we want to be able to go to an escape room, we'll be able to go to this one because no one's going as much and we we can book it. You know what I mean? Let's not share this great thing that we've found. Uh, Let's just sort of keep it to ourselves. We're in a series that we're calling On Purpose, where we're looking at who we are, where we're going, and what we want to be as a church, as Tide Church. We began talking about our destination as a church. um, And we summarized our destination. We've said this every week. We'll continue to. We summarized our destination by saying, we want to be people who are devoted to Jesus, living our lives following Jesus' example and teaching wherever we are, whatever the cost. We talked about how we're going to get there. Uh, We talked about what the, the route looks like, what the landmark looks like getting to that destination. We said that we will provide an opportunity for people to experience Jesus through worship, through communion and through community. We said that we will focus on clear, practical Bible teaching, And that we will empower people to serve our community and our world. They're the three big things that we say we're going to be about as a church. And now we've been uh, sort of taking a deep dive into the kind of people that we want to be in order to be that kind of church because we said, as we've said lots of times in this church, that the church isn't a building or an organisation, that the church is people. You don't go to church, you don't belong to a church, you are a church. And so if we're going to talk about what kind of church we want tired Church to be, we're really talking about what kind of people we want to be, what kind of people we want to be as individuals, and what kind of people we want to be together as a group. And that's what we're talking about. Last week we talked about love, and we talked about Jesus' command that we would love other people, that we would love all other people. And this week, we're going to jump into a moment in Jesus' life. Just one moment in Jesus' life. But this is a moment. This is a moment that when it first happened, it surprised everyone who was there. No one expected what was going to happen in this moment to happen. And no one expected Jesus to say what he said in this moment. This is a moment that surprised everyone who first saw it. And this is a moment that changed the course of the church, that changed the course of God's people, and it changed the course of the world forever. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Luke chapter 5. We're starting to read at verse 27, Luke chapter 5. Uh, Toward the back of your Bibles, you've got the big uh, books with the guys' names in it. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third one, and John. Luke chapter 5. This happens at at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, So Jesus is about 30 years old. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived uh, pretty similar to everyone else. Um, But at the age of 30, Jesus sort of went public with his message, um, went public with the message that God had given him, with the work that God had given him. And this happens pretty early in that journey. In fact, uh, this happens right at the beginning when he's first starting to connect with people and to call people to him, people that would become his inner group. The the group that we call the disciples or the apostles, Jesus didn't call them that uh, right in the moment. He just started saying to people, hey, do you want to come and follow me? I'm I'm about to do this thing and I want you on the journey with me. And this is one of those stories. So I'm reading Luke chapter 5 verse 27. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, he told him. And Levi got up. He left everything and he followed him. Then Levi hosted a great banquet. That's Bible word for a big party. Uh, A great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors was there, along with others who were eating and drinking, uh, sorry, along with others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees, they're like the religious leaders and the, uh, you know, the, the really good religious people. But the Pharisees and their scribes complained to Jesus' disciples, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" And Jesus answered them, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." To repentance. Now, when we read this with our twenty-first century Australian eyes and ears, this might seem like a pretty basic, pretty simple story. Jesus calls someone to follow him, and he does. But I want to tell you that when Luke first wrote this, when 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 Luke first wrote this, and the first people read this and listened to this, when those first people heard those words from Jesus, this is. A crazy story. This is a totally, what did that really, this is one of those drop the mic kind of moments. Did that actually just happen? Because you see, Jesus lived in a time (laughs) where the world was controlled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had largely conquered the world and Jerusalem and Israel, where Jesus lived, was occupied by Rome. And uh, the Roman Empire funded itself by taxing people throughout their empire. And so wherever, uh, wherever the Roman army was, wherever Rome had control, they employed local tax collectors. These weren't Roman people. These weren't people sent from Rome. They were local people in the local community that Rome set up as their tax collectors. And what would happen is that the Roman Empire would say to a local tax collector, this is how much tax you have to pay us each year for this area. But what they didn't tell them is how much tax they had to charge the people. So the tax collector could charge people anything they wanted, as long as at the end of the year they gave to the Roman army to be transferred to the Roman government, they gave to the Romans what they wanted. Does that make sense? So Rome would say, we want this much money for a year. But the tax collectors would go out and collect this much. And everything that was in the middle was their profit. And so they became really rich. And of course, they could use the Roman soldiers that were like the sort of policemen and the army of the area. They could use the Roman soldiers to collect whatever. If If you didn't give them the money they wanted, they just told the Roman soldiers and things went really bad for you, right? And, of course, they paid off the Roman soldiers a bit, didn't they? And so everyone hated tax collectors. They were like the scum of the earth because they were working for the enemy. They they were Jewish people. They were people from the nation of Israel, but they were working for the Romans. They were working for the enemy. They were dishonest. They were greedy. And they took advantage of their own people They made their own people sort of suffer financially so that they could get rich. Nobody hung around with tax collectors except other tax collectors and other people who for other reasons were kind of outcasts or were not accepted. Tax collectors, uh, uh, prostitutes, criminals, people that the Bible often just labels as sinners. Good people people who obeyed the law and did the right thing, good people never hung out with tax collectors. Good people would would never invite tax collectors to join them in something they're doing. And eating at a tax collector's house, never in a million years would you do that. And Jesus just went and did all three of those things. And when the good people saw it, when the good people saw what Jesus was doing and Jesus' followers, that they actually went to Levi's house, who became Matthew. When they actually went to his house and had a meal, they kind of pulled up aside and said, what are you doing? Why? Does Jesus actually know what he's doing? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? No one does that. And Jesus' answer totally shocked them Jesus answer shocked everyone who heard it and when Luke wrote these words down and started sharing this it shocked everyone who first read it Jesus answered by saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I haven't come to call the righteous I haven't come for the good people I've come to call sinners to repentance this one line totally changed the way that Jesus' followers lived. Because up to that point in history, everyone assumed that God liked good people. Everyone assumed that God liked good people and God didn't like bad people. God liked people who did the right thing and obeyed the law and, you know, tick, 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 tick. But people who missed it and people who failed and people who stuffed up, God didn't like those people. That's the way everyone assumed things worked. Everyone assumed that people who did the right thing, they were God's people. They were accepted by God and they were acceptable to God. And the people who did the wrong thing, and people who messed up, and people who hung out with the wrong people, that they couldn't be with God, that God didn't have space for them, that God didn't have interest in them. And Jesus announces in black and white, as clearly as he possibly can, that he didn't come just for good people. That he came, he refers to them as sick people as in sick and doctors, not sick as in as in bad. He says, I came for sick people. I came for the broken. I came for the messed up. I came for people who failed. I came for people who've made mistakes and done stupid things. They're the people that I came from, came for. And I want to tell you that that idea, that that statement, that idea, turned everything on its head for Jesus' first followers. 20 years later, uh, Paul, who became a leader in the early church, 20 years later, Paul would describe what Jesus is talking about like this. This is in Ephesians chapter 2 from the beginning, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Listen, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. goes on a couple of verses later. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Paul's saying, you were messed up. That's what transgressions and sins means, right? That's fancy Bible words for saying you messed up and did the wrong thing. You were sick, as Jesus Jesus said. But God reached out to you by his grace and his kindness. What what that means is, Paul said, you didn't deserve it. You did nothing to deserve it. It was all Jesus. You weren't reaching out to Jesus. You were stuck in your mess and in your sin and in all the things you've done wrong. But Jesus reached out to you in the middle of that. He reached out to you and he offered to you in the middle of that freedom and forgiveness and life and hope. That's what Paul means when he writes that uh, that you were made, that Jesus made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even while we're in that place, Jesus reaches out to us and makes us alive through what Christ did on the cross. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, nothing you did. It's a gift from God. You see, Paul didn't make up these ideas. This isn't Paul sitting down going, this would be a good thing from the church. These ideas came from Jesus. Do you see that? They started, these ideas started when Jesus reached out to a tax collector. When Matthew was sitting in his booth, doing his own thing, if you like, stuck in his own sins, stuck in his own mess. And Jesus reached out to him. It was Jesus that went to him and offered him friendship. It was Jesus that went to him and offered him a different kind of life, that offered him a different kind of future, that offered him something better than he was in. Ultimately, that offered him salvation and new life. Paul describes the same idea when he writes to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were powerless, there's the idea of uh, us in our sickness again. Yeah, When we were still powerless, uh, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's Jesus making the first move again. While we were stuck in our mess, while we were stuck in our failure, while, while, while we were stuck in our hopelessness, while I was stuck in my anger and my sin and my fear and my failure and my mess, and while you were stuck in the same, it's in that moment that Jesus reaches out for us. Friends, this is the heart of the Christian message. This has been, when we talk about the good news of Christianity, this is it. This has been the good news of Christianity for 2,000 years. That while we, while people are stuck in their mess, that God in his love reaches out to people with grace and with forgiveness and with love and with hope. This has been the good news of Christianity for 2,000 years and it continues to be the good news of Christianity today. Because you see, we are the sick people that Jesus is talking about, right? Don't read that and think he's talking about someone else, right? He's not talking about that person you know that sheesh, they've got problems. He's not talking about that horrible person you know at school. He's not talking about that person at your workplace that's mean and nasty. You're that person. Do you get it? I'm that person. We are the broken people. We are the messy people. We are the sick people. We are the lost people. We are the failures. And the good news of the Christian faith is that Jesus came to people like us. When Jesus says, I didn't come for uh, the healthy, but I came for the sick, he's talking about us. When Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for sinners, he's talking about us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still stuck in our messiness and our brokenness, while we were still stuck in sinful places in our lives, Jesus died on a cross to give us forgiveness, to offer us hope and to give us eternal life. Eternal life being a full and abundant and an amazing life that starts right now and continues forever, even beyond death in this life. That's the good news of the Christian faith. And that's the good news that this church, the Tide Church, is built around. Jesus' words to Levi, to Matthew, they were the beginning of a radical new way to live. They were the the very beginning, they were the first signs of a radical new way for people to follow God, uh, ultimately for people to follow Jesus. In a world where good people hang out with good people, in a world where good people avoided bad people, Jesus comes and with those words and in that moment, he changes that game forever. He went to his house for dinner. Right? It's like like, like the ultimate statement. That's not just saying, oh, he's a nice guy. I mean, I, I like him. He went to his house for dinner. And not only that, he said to Matthew, he said, invite all the other tax collectors. Did you notice that in the story? There's a whole pile of them there. And Jesus goes right into the house and eats with them and hangs out with them. This is what Christians call grace. Have you heard that word? This is what Christians call grace. Grace is the goodness, the kindness, the love that comes our way even when we don't deserve it. Even when we don't deserve it. And this is the kind of life that Jesus modelled beginning with that interaction with Levi, with Matthew. This is the kind of life that Jesus modeled. This is the kind of life that his disciples, that his early disciples in the first church lived. And I'm telling you, this is the kind of life that we want to live here as Tide Church. We want people to experience this grace, to experience this extraordinary grace of Jesus in our lives. We want to be people who experience the love of God even when we don't deserve it. To experience the forgiveness and the hope and the new life that he offers to each of us, to each one of you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what your history is, no matter what deep, dark secrets you've got, no matter what it is that you think, sheesh, yeah, but they don't know about me. In the middle of that, there is hope and there is life and there is forgiveness in the person of Jesus. That's what grace means. We desperately want people to experience that in this church. But more than that, we want to be agents of, we want to be ambassadors of, we want to be carriers of that message of grace out into the world. We want to be people who who speak kindly to others even when they don't speak kindly to us. That's what grace looks like in the world. We want to be people who will, uh, who will step back and smile when someone pushes in line in front of us. That's what grace looks like in the world. We want to be people who will slow down and back off when someone cuts in front of us in traffic. That's what grace looks like. We want to be a community of people who are recognisable because of how gracious we are to people we meet, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Just like when we talked about love last week, um, grace isn't an idea or a belief. Grace is an action. Christian grace is something you do. It's a way of living. Because if we experience the grace of God in our own lives, but if we don't live that out, then we're just like my family after the escape room going, we found something really good, but let's not tell anyone else about it. You know, let's just let's just keep it to ourselves because we're on to a good thing here. The point of grace is that we might know forgiveness and freedom, but that we might then share that forgiveness and freedom with other people so that in the same way that we, can, we experience grace when we didn't deserve it, we can go to other people even though in that moment they don't deserve it and they can experience the same forgiveness and hope and love and grace. Does that make sense? And I know there's this part of you, if you're anything like me, there's this part of you that thinks, but Matt, if I do that, someone could take advantage of me. You know, if I do that, people could walk over me. I mean, if I, if I speak kindly to someone who's rude to me, well, they might be rude to me again. You know, if I don't stand up and tell them, oi, 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 they might do it again. I mean, if I just let someone push in front of me in a line, well, Someone else might see that and they might push in front of me too. And our answer to that is simply to say, did you see the way that they treated Jesus? Did you see the way that people treated Jesus when he was gracious to them? God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is kindness and goodness to others, even when they don't deserve it. right? That's what makes grace grace is that you're doing it that Grace is only grace because it's given to people who don't deserve it. It's given to people who aren't asking for it. It's given to people even who aren't thankful for it when they get it. Grace isn't about you. Grace is about the other person. Grace is about demonstrating the love of God while people are still sinners. That's grace. And that's the kind of church that we want to be at Tide. As we said, we have a clear destination. People who are devoted to Jesus, living our lives following Jesus' example and teaching, wherever we are, no matter the cost. We have a clear path for how we're going to get there. Provide an opportunity for people to experience Jesus through worship, communion and community. Focus on clear, practical Bible teaching and empowering people to serve in our community and the world. But as we said last week, none of that means anything if we are not people who are living the way of Jesus in the world. No one cares what's written on the, world, on the wall here. No one cares what's, you know, what statements are written down if we're not living as people of grace in the world around us. If we're not taking the grace that came to us when we didn't deserve it and if we're not passing that on, if we're not channels of that grace to other people, even though they don't deserve it, even though they're not thankful for it. It means that as Jesus did, our response to the grace of God is to serve and to love and to reach out to a lost and a lonely and a hurt and a broken world. And not because we're perfect, not because we've arrived, but because Jesus reached out to us in our mess and our brokenness. And because one of the, the wonders of the Christian faith is that Even though now we're not perfect, even though you might be sitting there thinking, well, I can't give anyone grace because, man, you know, I still need it in my own life. The wonder is that even in your imperfection, God can use you and God will use you uh, to share grace with others. Does that make sense? You don't have to have arrived before you can be part of this. So I want to ask you, let's commit together as a church to be people who are known for how gracious we are, for how kind and how loving and how good and how generous we are, even when people don't ask for it, even when they don't deserve it, even when they're not thankful for it. That's grace. And that grace changes lives. Many of us are sitting here today because that kind of grace changed our lives. So let's not keep the grace of God to ourselves. Grace is never intended to be something inside the church for church people. Grace is supposed to be something that touches and changes the world out there. That's how this church makes a difference in the world around us, by sharing the good news and the grace of God with a world that so desperately needs it. That's the kind of church that we want to be.